We're in our third series, or rather third week, in a, in a series called Hope's Name is Jesus. We're going to look at God's promises come down to us uh, on into the month of December um, and to save us from our sins, of, of course. And we're talking about his name. So Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, prophesied about the one that would come to save all of us, and, and he was given these four names by Isaiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And I'm going to talk about peace this morning, so I'm going to sit up here on a, on a uh, bistro chair instead of yelling at you. Is that okay? All right, so we're gonna, just going to have a conversation. Well, not technically. I'm going to be the only one talking, so it wouldn't be a conversation, but it'll feel like one, hopefully, a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, we're going to start there. We're only going to read a couple of verses today. Um, and this is what it said. Uh, we, we've read it before. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, if in beautiful 40-degree weather and, and sunshine, if there are those here uh, who, who may be blue, who may have lost a mom or dad, and this is the first Christmas without them, who may be struggling financially, who may have a marriage on the rocks, Lord, whatever it may be, I just pray that we would all See this aspect of your character this morning, that you are a peaceable ruler, a prince. And the prince makes you able to meet our needs. The, the fact that you came with peace helps us to understand that we're to place our trust, our hope in you, and not something or some other person. And so we ask for your help, Lord, Love on us today as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of funny how um, this concept of, of prince and, and princess um, or just royalty in general has kind of permeated our American culture. Uh, you can't play a game uh, that you've downloaded from the app store without being bombarded by ads um, made by Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. They even advertise on mainstream uh, TV, cable networks. Um, some of you, many of our fairy tales and, and kids' movies are built around these same ideas. My kids are just getting old enough to where maybe a trip to Disney World would be doable, you know, and, and, and why do people go to Disney World, to the Magic Kingdom, um, among other reasons, because there's this monstrous what? A castle, right? And, 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 and little girls scurry all over the park trying to make appointments, um, when when the princesses are going to be there, and and they even wait in long lines to 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 take photos, 
and and so um, our our boys. I remember in the mid eighties, um, I was given a, a a gift from my grandparents. It was a full suit of armor. Of course, it was plastic and would not have protected me from anything. But it appeared to, and and it was uh, the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, and and I would walk around my home like I owned the place, you know, and and I just these themes of kingdom. There's just something about them that draw us, that commit us, that um, demand, or for whatever reason attract our attention. And devotion. Could it be that the reason we're so drawn to themes of kingdom that we're made in the image of God and that there is a real kingdom and that there is a real king and because we're his image bearers or made in his likeness, that we desire the very kind of governance that he rules and reigns with and over into eternity and have just yet to figure that out. I mean, we fawn over stories of Prince Harry and... and He's the one that married Meghan Markle, right? So this this gal with with um, African uh, descent, man, America just finally an American girl is going to bring some flavor, right, to the boring place across the pond, and 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 scores of people watch on cable networks this this wedding. We tune in. This is something in us that longs. For kingdom and marriage. And and these themes in, in many people somehow awaken a positivity and a hope in ways that other things, frankly, do not. And when we think about it, it's the story of the Bible. Isn't it? You've got Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who came into human history as a baby, grew up to be a man, and the scriptures teach us that he's coming back for his bride, think princess, who is collectively us, his people, to one day live in a proverbial castle, heaven, ruled by a good king, free of warfare, free of pain, free of tears. I mean, is that or isn't that a picture that is appealing to us? To me, it draws me. I want to be there. I hope that's the same for you. I think... We might posit that in Jesus' day and in our day, currently, presently speaking, Jesus isn't known, he wasn't known as some militaristic figure. 
in the same way that we think of some ruthless kings in, in human history. In fact, he's called the prince of what? Of peace. Which is really a hopeful title because has or hasn't humanity humanity been in search of feverishly world peace since its inception? We absolutely have. And yet we've we failed to deliver. Humans cannot, I, I don't mean to be a negative Nancy, but the likelihood of, of us achieving world peace on our own, not to suggest in any way that we shouldn't try, is small. So the image of a prince of peace bringing peace to earth that has little peace and bringing goodwill into the heart of, of man that has little to no goodwill ought to be, I hope, a welcomed image in the minds and hearts of people like ourselves who need hope. So it's good news this morning that Jesus is a prince. And and I'll tell you this, he's a real one. He's not like a pretend prince, like like me dressed up in plastic armor. He he doesn't fancy himself with, with outfits. The reason the kingdom of God is called the kingdom of God. (laughs) Did you see my stand drop? For effect. I'm about to drop the mic too if you'll watch. (laughs) Is because it's a real kingdom. And it has a real king. Amen. Amen. Jesus is someone, in other words, that has actual power to affect change. He is the almighty God. He is sovereign. He is sufficient within himself. He doesn't need someone else's power. He's the wellspring of all power, of all wisdom. We learned that a few weeks ago. He does not need we human beings. He doesn't need us. We ought not lose heart when we see that Christianity is is the pinata of a lot of what we see on television and hear on the radio. No opinion of Jesus affects Jesus. It just doesn't. Aren't you glad that Jesus is above and bigger than any commentary by anyone who has made any significant personal gain in society? He's beyond it. And the miracle in in all of it is, is that that prince loves us. He cares about us. We're the object of his affection. We're his treasure. We're his joy. In John 12, 14 through 15, I won't read this to you, but you'll remember Jesus came in. He made his big appearance to the city. Riding what? 
as a humble king. Do you remember? A donkey. How many of you um, know another king and, and that's his preferred mode of travel? Anybody? Like Shrek, right? Is the only one that I can think of and he's not even a king, okay? Who would do that? Well, a humble king would do that. How many world leaders do you know that are humble? None but Jesus. And when his enemies, let's scan forward to the cross, placed a crown of thorns on the head of the prince of peace, although it was in defilement of who he was and in mockery of who he was, did they or didn't they not still ironically crown him? It wasn't the gold that he deserved, but a crown was placed forcibly nonetheless on his head. And Pilate wrote him a cute little note, he thought, to tack onto the cross above his head that said, Hail, King of the Jews, to make fun of him publicly in front of hundreds. But did he or didn't he still use the word king? He did. Because that's who Jesus is. In Revelation, Jesus is revealed to us no no less than 45 times seated on a literal, not figurative, a literal throne. No longer in a spirit of mockery, but rather in his rightful place of adoration and praise and honor and worship. He was beat to death. He ascended to heaven. He now rules over all places, all people, all times. And the picture of Jesus in royalty as our prince of peace is one that you and I ought to keep in the forefront of our minds. Because he's able. He's able. By the same token... I want to remind you this morning that you and I are not royalty. We absolutely aren't. We fancy ourselves with thoughts. We act like that. We buy recliners instead of thrones. We revolve everything around ourselves. But we make very poor kings of our lives. We think that if we just get married, we're going to fix things because we're on the throne and we, and we see how all this ends. Or we think if we just have a child or in the case of the Burris family, if we just get rid of two or three children for a month or two or just get that promotion, or just get out of that bad marriage, or whatever it is, then we'll be happy as the king or queen of our new life. 
until we get what we're searching for, if we don't get it, we're miserable. If we get it, we're what? We're miserable. It looked so promising, but we took a big bite and it was empty. So if, rather, we humble ourselves and admit that we're not a prince, but we're in need of the prince of peace, maybe we'll be complete. Maybe we'll be whole. Maybe we'll be tranquil. Maybe we can enjoy Christmas. Maybe we will be satisfied. Because in Jesus, there's no more pretending. This is one of my favorite parts about being a Christian. The world tells you to hide everything. The world tells you to pretend like you've got it all together. The world tells you to fake it until you what? Until you make it. Here's what being a follower of Christ says. I no longer have to keep an image that's a lie. In Jesus, I'm not faking my innocence anymore. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a prince. I'm in need of his power. Jesus, forgive me. I'm lost. I need help. Do you know how freeing that is? To be okay with not having it together. To be okay with not being at the top of the heap. To be okay with not being A1. You can hope again then. There's no more hoping in, in, in vain. Some of us, I would be concerned, have hoped in things and other people so many times and been disappointed so many times that we've just decided to quit hoping. Our method for coping with unfulfilled hopes is to just stop hoping any longer. And if we're really honest with each other, Christmas, statistics support this, it's not a faith booster, but for barely the majority. That is to say, sure, some people's hearts are warmed. Uh, for others, nothing makes us more cynical and bitter than Christmas, of all things. Because on the surface, we look around and see people are beaming with good cheer and happiness. But on the inside, when we're honest with ourselves, we say we're hurting. And we look around and think, how could I possibly enjoy this season when my life is in the shape that it's in? Is this all a lie? The colors, the bows, the tinsel, the lights. How could I possibly enjoy my life when it's in the shape that it's in? I don't know what shape you're in. 
Um, there may be someone here who's struggling to get pregnant this morning, and it's been heartbreaking. There may be somebody who um, your finances are in complete disarray and you are so frustrated by the fact that nobody seems to acknowledge that you are working your bum off and you are trying to make ends meet. There may be, I, I think we have multiple families. I'm aware of three that, that came to mind without really digging into it who lost mom or dad this past year, and this is the first one without them for Christmas. I'm sure there are others. Here's the important distinction that I want to make. What I'm not asking that you consider doing is trusting in humanity. I'm asking you to hope in the Lord. In other words, don't think on the promises of other people. Stand on the promises of God. He defends, we're, we're told in the scriptures, the feeble. It's one of his promises. He blesses the young. That's one of his promises. If you're young, congratulations. You're blessed, says the Bible. He gives rest to the weary. Are you tired this morning? I'm tired, me personally. Zach, I'm, I'm tired. I'm short-fused. I'm sleep-deprived. This says that God gives me rest. It's, yeah, rest. Not melatonin. Jesus, he gives me rest. The Prince of Peace. He delivers the captive. Are you bound? Are you addicted? It's one of the promises of God that he will set you free. He regards the aged. Are you old? God has not forgot about you. He cares about you. He gives you his attention. You're an object of his affection. He raises up the lowly and despised. He shames the proud. It's one of his promises that one day every knee shall bow. So it's wise to bow today. It's wise to humble ourselves today. It's wise to submit to his lordship today. We're told he fights for us. We're told he never leaves us. And, and here's the thing, whether it's poverty or adversity, whatever it is, when we're with the prince of peace, we will always be able to make it. Salvation is ours. Heaven awaits us. Our hope is in the Lord. In, in a moment, you're going to hear from a missionary who was physically healed. An amazing story. Physical healing or not, God's already worked in the hearts of those who believe a bigger miracle. Are you aware of that? 
that he's given grace, unmerited favor to those of us who believe in him and that forever will be with him in eternity, like that's a big deal. I would submit to you that while healings are amazing and we're going to celebrate and clap when we hear, heal her, when we hear her healing story, that the bigger news story is our forgiveness. One is a temporal thing. The other is an eternal thing. How many of you are grateful for salvation this morning? Amen? There's so much freedom in understanding that we're in the shadow of the prince of peace. As much as I love my buddies that I can call when I'm struggling, to know that the prince He's a prince after all, the prince of peace. I can go to with my burdens and he promises to shoulder them. That is such an appreciated promise. I lean into that. Sometimes I think we treat, and I understand that this isn't, this isn't Easter or Good Friday, but we all know the cradle led to what? Another C, to the cross. And, and sometimes I just, I just think that we treat the work that God did at Calvary with the same magnitude as if he'd walk in here and like spray around some pine scented Febreze or something. Like, thanks, Jesus. It's the cross, right? I mean, he physically, brutally died so that our forgiveness might happen so that we don't have to carry around shame and guilt. Are you guys with me this morning? Amen? Like, that's a big deal. I have a clean conscience. And I've done a lot of stupid things. We're forgiven. Hallelujah. Here's the distinction. And I want you to wrap your mind around regarding the Prince of Peace. For the world... For the world, lowercase h, hope, is a euphemism or a polite synonym for wishful thinking. That's all that is. I hope this happens. I hope there's a utility tractor in my future. I, I hope that we upgrade the house one day. I, I hope that my marriage looks a little differently 10 years from now. For those of us in Christ, capital H, hope, is a name. It is a person. Hope, the person, the person of Jesus, is concrete. 
Hope is objective. Hope is or will one day be tangible in that we will be able to reach out and touch Jesus Christ. Hope is real. And hope quite literally came into our world. And because it was done before by hope, it said that it will be done again by hope and that the clouds will part and that the trumpets will sound and that the white horse will descend and on it will be our prince of peace. And if you've got a tattoo this morning, understand that he'll have one also on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your granny told you it wasn't a good thing to get one wrong. Revelation says Jesus has one. And he's going to come back for his people. And the Bible says we're going to be caught up with him in the air, our hope to live forever. That's the way the story ends. And the manger is where the story begins. Not technically, but on earth. Am I the only person in the room that's excited this morning? Was that feigned or was that sincere? God's good, isn't he? Amen. I feel like there's this chasm (laughs) in between us that I cannot cross. Oh, yeah. Here's what I want to conclude with. Verse 7. That was the introduction. Now that we got that out of the way, no, I'm just teasing. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I cannot imagine how great of a parent Jesus would have been. How many of you parents would say, I rule with justice and righteousness over my home? A land and a people can only be as peaceable as its king or prince. Would you agree with that? If you have a violent dictator, what's the country going to be filled with? Violence. You have a peaceable king, the country follows the climate of the leader. The decisions a prince make um, will will break or make a kingdom so we long for the stable and everlasting and beautiful and and peaceful place it is no coincidence that jesus is called the mighty god the everlasting father the wonderful counselor the prince of peace he is all of those names and the peace is tied to his righteousness let me explain I am not looking down my nose at you guys week to week. I am a sinner just like you all. 
the only reason that I haven't been struck by lightning in this pulpit or music stand by God the Father. Wouldn't that be creepy if it happened right now? <laughs> Just pointing out that truth is because I lean as heavily as you do on the grace of God. His forgiveness, make his righteousness. Okay? The biggest piece of evidence I have that humanity cannot be righteous apart from Jesus Christ is my own heart. Because I know what it's like. without the grace of God. Peace is tied to righteousness. The concept of truth, peace, here's where I'm going, this is the last thing I'll leave with you, or shalom, it's called, is more than simply an absence of conflict. Let me explain. I can come into my living room when Miles and Nora and Levi are in a tiff, and are at each other and, and yelling. And I can lay down the law. And I can get it to an absolute silence. And if you were to walk in my home in that moment and feel how tense it is, there's an absence of conflict, let me tell you. Would you call that shalom? See, in order for there to be true peace, there has to be something in place of the conflict. There has to be love. There has to be charity. There has to be joy. And by the grace of God, we're, we're enabled to enjoy those things. I can, again, sternly and abruptly get them to be quiet, but unless something else is there apart from, from conflict missing, it's not going to work. So the peace of God alludes to completeness or wholeness. And again, it's not something we can manufacture. A broken self cannot fix oneself. I need Jesus to fix some messes that I have made in my life. But do you know what? If he fixes the messes, what do I make more of? Messes. The absence of conflict doesn't mean true peace. What happens is if God, instead of turning a new leaf, transforms my life and puts his spirit in the void of the absence of conflict, that is what the Prince of Peace came to do. And we cannot do it for ourselves. It's the miracle of Christmas, the fact that unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every soul in this room that's burdened this morning. I pray for every human heart that has not been able to find joy. And Lord, I, I pray that you 
would send your spirit into that person to drive out conflict and to restore tranquility and joy and gratitude. I pray that you would create true peace, true shalom in that human heart today. And I pray, Lord, that how tragic, how tragic that the people of God cannot enjoy Christmas. Lord, I pray you'd transform us. I pray that you'd make the toys peripheral to doing life with the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen.